BAM Radio Network. In education, we hear that technology improves student learning, particularly with student engagement. But yet in your book, you make the claim that that's not always the result. We asked our families, what do you want to see out of your students by the time they leave our school? Technology's got to come second, and the learning and the instruction has to come first. Welcome to ASCD Learn, Teach, Lead Radio, where you'll hear engaging conversations between ASCD emerging leaders, leading authors, experts, and practitioners on the topics that matter to today's educators and impact the success of every child. I'm your host today, Rachel George, and I'm joined by elementary school principal and ASCD author, Matt Renwick. Matt, welcome to the show. In your book, you have five common myths related to implementing classroom technology. In your experience, which of these myths are most prevalent and what are the key ways to debunking it? I think the most prevalent ones, uh, for starters, is the first myth, technology is easy to learn and use. In that chapter, in that short section, I, I highlight when I've had a sub in classrooms, be a guest teacher, and just all of the things that you have to do to to just get the classroom ready and get the kids engaged in learning and to add technology to the mix without a lot of support or training is really a tall order. Uh, the other myth that I think is very prevalent that should be addressed is that technology should be in the hands of every student. And uh, studies have started to show that that's not good for kids. Um, it needs to be intentional and purposeful and thought out. And that's, I think, how we might debunk those myths is to just really have our intentions in mind and our outcomes um, when we think about technology in the school. Great. I'm really glad that you brought up the point about the one-to-one ratio and just the the device in the student's hands and how we need to have that one-to-one correspondence. So in education, we hear that technology improves student learning, particularly with student engagement. But yet in your book, you make the claim that that's not always the result and that you're not always necessarily needing the one-to-one ratio. Just curious, how did you come to that finding and what are your thoughts on that? Well, there was a study that was profiled in the Atlantic, and it showed that technology, when introduced into the classrooms, tends to accentuate the instruction that's already there. So that if good instruction is happening, technology could enhance it. But at the same time, if technolo- if instruction is not at a quality level, it will actually make it worse. So it's really not about the what, but the how and the why. And in our school, we are not one-to-one. Um, we might be three-to-one upper grades, maybe two to one, but that's very context specific. Uh, sometimes we don't, want, we don't want any technology. We want kids talking to each other and working on hands-on projects. Sometimes we want to be one-to-one. So the teacher really has to decide that when within their context and the activities they're doing, is technology warranted where it should be in the hands of every kid, not just we need it. So how do you get teachers to understand and be able to evaluate that, especially for those of us that are in buildings with limited technology and perhaps the awareness on the teacher's end is limited. How do you move that building forward with that knowledge and like professional development? I have found that starting with the curriculum, we've devoted days to allowing teachers to write very engaging curriculum for the kids, you know, thinking with the end in mind, backward design. uh, What are those essential understandings uh, using a lot of the tenets of understanding by design by Wiggins and McTeague. And then as you come into the learning plan and the progression, asking ourselves, when would technology make sense? Or in the performance task, when could technology bring in an audience that would not happen otherwise without it? And so once we have those essential outcomes in mind and we give teachers the time and training to plan those units, technology becomes a whole lot easier to implement. 
Good. So as I said before, um, with what we hear about technology improving student engagement, i.e. like learning student outcomes, could you give some explicit examples of how you've helped debunk that within your building or in your professional conversations with folks in the world of education? Sure. When we first brought in iPads, that was our, I guess, our device of choice. We just said, try it out, see if it works, find out what does, what doesn't. The activities that happened were mostly at lower level types of learning. So math at games, more memorization kinds of things. Spelling city. (laughs) Spelling city, which is fine. And there's (laughs) nothing wrong with that, but it kind of remained there. Mm -hmm. And so the kids were engaged. I mean, they were interested in it, but you know, was that a significant difference in, in their learning outcomes had they just used, you know, paper and pencils. So that's why we've invested in uh, digital portfolios. The technology has, I think, in a sense, created a, uh, it's really facilitated the reflection and the goal setting and the celebration, but it's the teacher still doing the work. They're just doing different work. So that instead of just posting student work online and saying, you know, good job, they're actually sitting down with each kid with their portfolio tool and, and, capturing their artifact, but then asking some questions like, what did you do well? What would you like to work on for next time? How will you know that you're going to be successful? And it's in those conversations and having the technology bring the teacher and student back together and forming those relationships and and those connections is where it's hard to separate the two and it becomes very meshed. And that's where we see the, the greatest impact on kids learning. I've seen it with my own kids. My kids go to my school. We've been doing portfolio assessment with uh, writing and, and getting it posted in, in a digital space and uh, the parent comments from it. The Just see my own kids grow as writers. Is, it's been amazing. Excellent. I, I noticed on your website that you have students blog and then you interact with that. Could yeah. you expand on that? Sure. We uh, A couple of our teachers use KidBlog and... The teacher will like post a provocative question and, you know, second grade, not too provocative, but then the kids write posts to that. They comment on it. And uh, sometimes the teachers will send it to me and I'll, I'll write comments to it. I'll talk, you know, and be a learner alongside them. I think that's really cool. I think the teacher sees me as a, as not just a supervisor, but also a, a participant in their learning journey. Uh, and it's not just blogs. Um, I just had a class, a second grade class on Chromebooks. The kids write persuasive essays about their favorite lunch at school. So I'm slowly going through each doc, Google Doc, and writing comments uh, on their work. But you know, there's a nice blend too because they also printed out those persuasive essays and posted them next to the kitchen, so the kitchen staff could see. So technology is great for bringing in an audience, but sometimes it still comes back to that paper and pencil uh, side of things, and uh, it just depends. And again, it comes back to what is your intention and how you get. Uh, kids to get to those outcomes. Great. That's good. Thank you. So your final question, we've been ending each episode with a gold star question. What are three essential things a school could do to earn a gold star for integrating digital tools and truly enhancing student learning? Three things. I think first is identifying the needs and the interests of the kids. And that comes to actually talking to the kids about what they're interested in, knowing what they need, you know, such as digital citizenship. We know that those students need that. And then it includes talking to their families, too. We've, we asked our families, what do you want to see out of your students by the time they leave our school? And we've taken that into account. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is starting with your curriculum and assessments and re-looking at that and saying, is this, uh, David Perkins talks about life-worthy learning. Is this something that 20 years from now, 
they're going to be able to still take away in their lives. And if it's not, we're looking at that curriculum and making it better and having the assessments better represent you know, multiple pathways and, and different ways for those kids to, to show what they know and are able to do. And then I think finally then it's selecting the tools and really being technology agnostic, I guess is the way to put it, tool agnostic. And if a certain tool's been working but it, it doesn't, yeah, look for something else. But uh, the technology's got to come second and the learning and the instruction has to come first. So that's those are my three recommendations is assessing the needs of the students and the interests, looking at your curriculum and assessments, and then finally selecting the tools that best fit the outcomes that you as a school community want to see with your students. Great. That's powerful. Thank you again for listening to this episode of ASCD Learn, Teach, Lead Radio. Learn about Matt's book, The Five Myths About Classroom Technology at www.ascd.org and www.readingbyexample.com. You've been listening to ASCD Learn, Teach, Lead Radio. This program is produced by Accretive Media for the BAM Radio Network. Thanks for listening.